so much to protect ourselves from uncertainty, and it can seem to work for a time. We do what we can to stave off loss or diminishment, and then something happens. We receive a diagnosis or we face the loss of a job, a relationship ends, or someone we love is upended by sorrow, and we are cut adrift. Certainty is a facade. In the aftermath of a pandemic, even before the pandemic has subsided, we learn that much of the world faces every day the kind of uncertainty that we speak of as exceptional. What can we see in the darkness that is hidden in the light? Our guests today are here to speak with us from places where people are reeling from a world come undone. Dr. Michael Bolt is an intensive care doctor and Rosemary Hill is a wound ostomy continence nurse. Each of them care for people who are in circumstances of loss and uncertainty. In our conversation, we refer to a wonderful little book called When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. Kalanithi was a neurosurgeon who also completed an English literature degree. He wrote the book after a terminal diagnosis and died in his 30s. Kalanithi mentions that the role of a doctor in our culture is akin to what the role of a minister or a pastor used to be. He says that he found himself often with patients who are asking questions of ultimate meaning and purpose, that these questions often come up in medical contexts. He says, Sometimes the news so shocks the mind that the brain suffers an electrical short. This phenomenon is known as the psychogenic syndrome, a severe version of the swoon some experience after hearing bad news. But Kalanathi speaks of vocational call as well. He says that words were often a more important tool than a scalpel. He references an occasion early in his career writing, driving home later that night after gently explaining to a mother that her newborn had been born without a brain and would die shortly. I switched on the radio. NPR was reporting on the continuing drought in California. Suddenly tears were streaming down my face. Being with patients in these moments certainly had its emotional cost but it also had its rewards. I don't think I ever spent a minute of any day wondering why I did this work or whether it was worth it. The call to protect life, and not merely life, but another's identity, it's perhaps not too much to say another's soul, was obvious in its sacredness. Lend me your eyes, I can change what you see. I know the line from a Mumford and Sons song. Our eyes have been lent out to a different time now. May the way that we see be changed, so that from these places of darkness, we become more aware of the light. Welcome to the Rector's Cupboard. In 1874, the British government passed a series of laws called the Regulation of Public Worship. A lot of people cared an awful lot about church back then. True. On one side, people wanted more ritual and ceremony. On the other side, they wanted mostly none. In the midst of the battle, one minister, a rector in London at a church called St. George in the East, 
had stopped a practice whereby people who volunteered in church services could avail themselves of liquor from the rector's cupboard before and after the service. The Reverend King closed the cupboard. We have opened it again. Welcome to the rector's cupboard. Order. So we are here with uh, Cupboard Master Ken is on the mic. Hi, Ken. Hello, Todd. And Dr. Michael Boltz is here. Hello. And Rosemary Hill is here as well. Welcome, both of you. We'll, we'll, Hi there. We'll do a the little more proper biography in, in just a few minutes after our tasting, but wanted to ask you off of the top, both of you working in, in a hospital, uh, how have things been in the last number of months? Uh, we're, right now, we are early October, um, and COVID hit in March. How are things? I, I think you should start with Mike, because I think the ICU was hit pretty pretty substantially. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's, fu- it's funny. I mean, we certainly, we felt COVID in a more tangible way than, than a lot of people, maybe. But on, on the other hand, wouldn't you say, Rosemary, uh, uh, the hospital felt like one of the most controlled places. Like, I was more stressed going to Safeway, yes. honestly, than to yes. work. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, funnily enough. Yeah, no, I would agree. And you know what else, too? For me, I've been using um, FaceTime like so much more. I never did FaceTime with, um, so I'll have the patient call in and I've got the physician with me and they're calling in from Bella Bella, Bella Coola. And so that technology and Zoom, of course, and I know you've Mm. heard that, but all of that, I'm now really familiar with it and I wasn't before. Um, And I will, I'm going to throw in my big pet peeve though, which is just still driving me crazy. But if it's parking, you see parking is free. And I have to tell you, this is what's driving me the most crazy right you now. You don't have anywhere to park? Yeah. No, I don't. But so I have to come in early. <laughs> so I wake up half an hour early uh, yeah. so I can get I know into that lot. the parking lot. Because I park there sometimes. Yeah, like I go as a chaplain yeah. and it's like, Ooh. oh, all this parking is free now. So now you're... And you know, I say that, but do you know what it's like for families and patients? They're trying to come in and they can't find a place to park. So yeah, that's one of my little pe- pet peeves. Wow, okay. that would be different. So there are there's different protocol you guys explain. Yeah. I know what you mean by the controlled, like even going in as a as a volunteer chaplain, it's it's quieter. Yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. than, than yeah. it was before. You everybody has to check in, right? Yeah. It just yeah. seems like you're entering this place so much more than yeah. than you used to, right? And yeah. is it true that the sense I get is that you guys were preparing for a hit that in some ways didn't come. You have to prepare for more than happens, correct? Yeah, I would say so. And um, I would say you're right. We sort of held off on some surgeries and whatnot and Mm. in anticipation that we might have to use more rooms. Um, We still had some influx, Mm -hmm. but it probably wasn't to what we were seeing. Like, you know, the the footage in New York. Yeah. Oh, New York. It was horrendous what was happening. We did not experience that. Or Italy or these other places. Yeah, I mean, um, strangely, we kind of watched it sweep that way around the globe, which kind of wasn't my expectation. Starting in China, I thought, okay, Vancouver, L.A., you know. But but we watched it coming, and so we were prepared for for much more volume than in the end we actually saw. So we we were stretched uh, for normal, but we we were more than prepared for that. We had things ready to go for much more There's a great um, film that played at TIFF, the Toronto Film Festival, called uh, 76 Days. Mm. And it's um, two uh, Chinese directors, but all it is is one of the main hospitals in, in Wuhan, 
mm. uh, and they just cover 76 days from it's it's there's nothing political about it at all it's very much just the word and it's it's really really interesting i mm. and and you see how like going in lionsgate often myself visiting or whatever as a pastor or a chaplain um the the advancement in terms of the medicine over there is is enormous it's it's at least as as advanced as as lionsgate right and just the epicenter of where everything hit another question i had is um and i hadn't prepared Mm -hmm. you this for anything how did you feel about all the um like seven o'clock clapping and the healthcare heroes Uh, and like we got two here you're like (laughs) what do you do with that initially um when I was feeling stressed and had long days and I'm in a townhouse complex and um, you get it. And I remember I thought, oh, I wonder if I should go out because I was usually just having some supper and I was tired. And um, and I thought, oh, that's kind of nice. And one time I went out and they're saying, hey, how you doing? And I thought, gosh, I live in a beautiful yeah. community. And I had that initially. <laughs> However, <laughs> as it went on, it it was, and also we were getting better, and things were improving, and the numbers were improving. And when the pots came out again, I thought, oh, <laughs> it was a reminder. It was like, oh, yeah, I know, oh, I yeah. know, you know. And so the pots started to wear thin. <laughs> and I want to say, I want to exchange pots. I want to talk to my MLA and say, Instead of pots, I went parking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, no more pots, but I went parking. <laughs> so, but you're right in the ICU, so the healthcare hero stuff. How well, does that? yeah, and that, and that stuff. It's certainly you know not not to die. like Rosemary. After a while, I kind of well, I felt a little bit guilty. It felt like you know, did you guys go out and bang pots? We're not doing that much. And, you you know, did well. You don't have to, right? You don't have to go out and bang <laughs> pots yourself. No, you're, no. But and, right. and it was very touching, especially it, early know. on. You know, even though this tidal wave never happened, I mean, people were very stressed and you know not yeah. sure how effective protection was going to be and transmission yeah. at yeah. work and so forth. You know, so it was a stressful time, and people were very, very appreciative of it. Very much right? so. Yeah. Um, and the whole pr- kind of parade of people around the block of the hospital. So it, it was very well received. But yeah, after after a while, I started to feel like you guys know, like we're actually not doing that much, and here it's I kind know. of being kind of quiet. It's, it's one of those interesting things that, like, you saw it around. 9-11 with like firefighters or with it's it's laudable that we recognize people um sometimes who aren't recognized i think particularly you know grocery store workers or other people that really you know are are taking risks and whatever else but there is eventually a, a dehumanizing aspect to some of that right because these are actual people and of course the word hero mm. it can sometimes diminish some of that the extraordinary thing is actually how ordinary people are that are doing these jobs right that it's uh, and if yeah. it just keeps going day after day after day it starts to wear Did, didn't you guys have the sense i mean i think they had this momentum of its own too because everyone was yeah. kind of isolated and and this was the one time you kind of coming yeah. out yeah. About you feel some agency going people out could do street. something people were yeah. a little bit connected yeah. at, at that yeah. time there's definitely yes. that part of yes. it yes that's yeah. true so you give yeah. it to them um so well thank you guys very much we're going to we're going to open up our cupboard now and our cupboard master, Ken, has prepared. We have drinks in front of us here. We do. We're going to have to give a little bit of a stir to the cocktail one, just swish it around because it has settled out a little bit. Okay. But we're going to start with, uh, we're going back to Okanagan Spirits. We've uh, been at Okanagan Spirits before uh, with their bourbon. This is gin. And one of the things that's unique about their gin and their vodka is it's all grain-free. So they actually initially started with apples they Mm. press eighteen thousand pounds of apples uh every week 
And that's what they use as the base for their gins and their vodka. So if you have a gluten issue, uh, but you like gin and vodka, uh, this is Okanagan Spirits is for you. Uh, so f- first you have just a little sip of the just the pure gin. The little No, the no, other oh, one, Rosemary, there you go. <laughs> I don't drink too much. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, and so it's it. There should be some nice botanicals in wow. there, a um, little bit of juniper, but not super They're heavy on the very juniper. Botanical. Mm-hmm. Uh, gin usually has a really heavy bota- uh, ju- mm-hmm. um, juniper taste. A little bit of spruce tip mm-hmm. and some rose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's very it's it's very drinkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. then what you have in front of you is what's the cocktail mm-hmm. I made is what's called a Saint Vincent, and so it is gin Galliano. Uh, a little light cream and oh, um, some uh, that red po- uh, grenadine. Grenadine. Ah, so that's okay. what's in there. So you can give that a sip. I say give it a little stir swirl because. So this is cream in here. That's cream in there. Oh and yeah. And galliano. Oh, that's easy. To oh, I like that. that. No. <laughs> yeah, that's Wasn't good. That nice. Mm. Ooh. It's like a you boozy milkshake. Mm. Almost, there's a yeah. little bit of, what's that licorice thing? That's oh, the Galliano. Oh, oh, so ah. That's the Galliano and a little I bit of licorice flavor. Mm-hmm. So anyways, yeah. I and, like that and, a lot. No, oh. that's good. We'll be and we'll be, we'll be doing some other tastings from Okanagan Spirits as well. We just got their whiskey in as well. So we'll try that in the future. But it's it's a nice uh, different smooth. sort. You can order it from their website mm. at o- Okanagan Spirits. And welcome and enjoy the rest of the podcast. And if you get into a... Difficult question. Pause. <laughs> and take have a, a slip. <laughs> and then uh, Saint Vincent. This is called a Saint Vincent. Saint Vincent. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of Saint no, Vincent? No, I cannot. <laughs> no, I cannot. All right. So over to Todd and uh, thank the rest you very of you for much, Cupboard Master Ken. Thank well you. done. Thanks, that is Ken. absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So we are pleased to have with us uh, this afternoon, Dr. Michael Bolt and Rosemary Hill. I'll give a little bit of introduction to each of them, and then uh, we'll get into our conversation together. Uh, Dr. Bolt is an intensive care doctor called an intensivist, I think is the name, and he's been that for over 20 years in that role. We noted in conversation before uh, that uh, 20 years as an ICU doctor is exceptional, um, given some of the demands of the job and and such. And So uh, we're really pleased to have uh, Michael here with us. Thank uh, you. Today, thanks so much. And Rosemary Hill is um, now we got all kinds of titles for this uh, nurse specialized in wound ost- wound ostomy and continence, uh, which the other word for that is ends walk, mm-hmm. which we've decided sounds distinctly very like like Ewok. Uh, yeah, like but a little Star like Warsy. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Funny you say that because the old word, which was known for many many years, was enterostomal therapist. So and an so end in New it was e, it was called you were ET. Could you ET? Could oh. the docs could you're call ET the doctors. Yeah, yeah, well. an ET. Call the ET nurse. <laughs> we need an ET. So call ET. So we've gone from an ET to an ENS walk. <laughs> Rosemary yeah. has been a registered nurse for thirty-five years, <laughs> working in this particular role for fifteen. Is that yes. what it, or fifteen mm-hmm. or a little bit more? Yeah. And was for a time president of the ENS walk. That's in so Canada, that makes her sound like the leader of like a cult president care. of the ends uh, And we heard there were 500, about 550 of those specialized in, in, in all of our country and all of Canada. So thank you both very much um, thank you. for being here. And uh, we know that we're going to have a great, uh, great conversation here this afternoon. So I thought we'd start off just, I'll ask uh, Michael first and Rosemary can chime in as well. Uh, tell us about what you do. What What is it like, Michael, in your case, to work in the ICU? Tell us about your work and some of the things that are notable. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, the ICU is, uh, it, it's, um, you know, it's kind of a high stakes, um, conflicted, contradictory kind of place. I, I think you, you said to me, that must be a place no one wants to end up with. And that's sort of true, but yet other times it seems like everyone wants their mm. shot if they, if they need no one but everyone. And, and uh, it's the place where you got the best shot at getting to tomorrow uh, on the one hand. But if that doesn't play out, you've got the highest probability of a kind of complicated, medicalized, kind of traumatic uh, end. Uh, you know, and it's a place where a lot of people, well, a lot of people don't stay long, long term. It's a place a lot of, a lot of staff uh, mm. do think about changing out, out of, um, uh, and, and partly for reasons of, uh, of distress over the kind of care that, that they feel is either inconsistent with what they would want or mm. what their patients mm. want. It, it, so there, there's, yeah, it's full of uh, kind of contradictions like that. And uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> quiet. There. Well, it is kind of quiet. Like actually. I visit there sometimes as a y- minister. Y- or, usually. You know, okay, usually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it seems it's a, it's a, now you would know the, it's a serious place. It's a very serious place. Yes. It, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you see the, <laughs> obviously, the other side of that with staff and such, but it's uh, like as I go in as a chaplain or when I was a minister to visit people, when you're, when I'm called to the ICU, of course, that's a whole other level of like than entering another hospital room or something. Rosemary, tell us about your work. Um, my work is, um, well, I love it. I love what I do um, because I guess before I get into the details of it, every day is different and I have all kinds of things that can happen in a day, and I think that's what makes it interesting. But essentially, I am I'm a consultant for anybody who has a special wound or that they have an ostomy. So that means that their a portion of their bowel is brought to the skin, and they wear a pouch. Sometimes for people, they they wake up from surgery, and it's an emergency surgery, and they have one, and they're a little bit dismayed. Mm. Sometimes it's elective and it's for managing cancer. Mm. Um, and then the other piece of the job, which sounds different, but is around continence, you know, both urinary and mm-hmm. fecal continence. I mean, sometimes people do say to me, really, you, you kind of, you chose to go into right. this world of wounds, which are kind of smelly, and then the ostomy is a bit smelly. And, and I go, yeah, and, um, but it is intriguing. A quick, just a quick funny story. I, I one time had a, a lady, this was quite a few years back, she had something called diverticulitis and mm-hmm. ended up perforating her bowel. And as a result, she ended up with a colostomy. And she was so dismayed that she had one. Mm-hmm. And we got to know each other, and I would carefully teach her. And um, one day she said, Rosemary, I'd like to share something um, personal with you. Would that be okay? I said, oh, sure. She said, you know, I noticed that you don't wear a wedding ring. And I went, yeah, no. She goes, you know, and I'm thinking that maybe one day, you maybe, do, do you have somebody? I went, no, no. She says, well, you might start dating. And I went, oh, and I thought, where is this going, <laughs> you know? And so I said, oh, yeah. And she goes, you know, I just, I just want to, you're a really nice person, but I want to tell you, when you're sitting down at a restaurant and you're, you're chatting with this person, I don't, please, please don't at the dinner bring up what you do. In fact, you know, only if things are really, really going well. At dessert, <laughs> you could say, you're a nurse, you work at the hospital, but don't, don't tell him, 
don't tell him that you she thought she was like uh, <laughs> this yeah, was her little yeah. she wanted she, to just coach me she was helping you yeah. to to yes. correct something that must have explained <laughs> yes, the situation that's right yeah. that's right oh, that's fantastic anyway sorry uh, we have Allison on the mic as well Allison yeah welcome. I snuck in after I got my St. Vincent it's delicious now you have some experience yourself in this realm but not on that side of the ledger no so to speak. I I had the um less than elective choice of having an ostomy it was uh it was an ileostomy which means a small intestine instead of just my large intestine um and rosemary was was my nurse my kind of godsend at moments um i i had a uh, a cancer scare and i had to have a total colectomy and so i no longer had a colon and so I ended up with a temporary ileostomy until they could create an internal pouch. And it, it was incredibly overwhelming thinking about how I would manage life with that. It wasn't what I wanted. I, w- I was 30 years old and it kind of just, it, it, was, it was a whole new world of things. And I, yeah, no, so I had the very fortunate um, opportunity to to have rosemary help me figure out what to do with everything and then after my second surgery when it changed all again and i had a different ileostomy which i found much more difficult yeah (laughs) she she helped me figure that one out again but it was i remember you speaking with me and saying how and not this isn't to flatter you rosemary but kind of you're, you're here in the room you speaking to me and saying in the midst of this upheaval in your life uh how significant it was and i could see it just in how you spoke that you found somebody like rosemary who made such a big big difference to you that this was yeah this was like everything seemed in upheaval and this was one place where you felt some kind of ground i could just mm-hmm. see that in how you spoke and then i was like oh i know her because <laughs> I, oh. you know, I didn't know that connection until you know uh, i um i appreciate those words you know it um when I see somebody, especially young, and I'm afraid for me, there's been some young ones who I've lost mm-hmm. and they've had ostomy surgery. They leave a little imprint mm-hmm. in me and in my memories. And everything in me is about meeting them at the bedside and um, being there very much present and listening. And my phone goes crazy, but I think, no, 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 wait a minute. This person has an ostomy. They never expected it mm. more often than not and it, it really is a profound change it is a loss it's a huge loss mm-hmm. of not knowing you know you're not going to the bathroom in the usual way and that's was Normous, you know yeah. n- it's so it's really profound and despite doing it for 15 years i i don't ever uh, minimize that that somebody's that experiencing that yeah. for the f- very first mm-hmm. time right. and all right. of the emotion that comes it's with that. Huge. I was going to ask you both, and, and Michael, I'll, I'll start with you, because um, it would be different, your experience in the ICU. What has it meant to you that you're working in a context where questions of meaning and the encountering of loss are so present and prevalent? Just about mm-hmm. everybody you work with as a patient, and oftentimes you're probably interacting with the patient's family, more sometimes more than the patient themselves, if they're, if they're like unable to communicate or whatever. Um, but to face these questions of meaning and loss that sometimes are just there and not voiced, but you know that people are at a point in their life often when they when they come across you, 
that has this intensity of meaning to it. Do you feel that, or is it just like, because I, mean, I know you can get used to work as well. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, I think often um, uh, the, the surprising thing to me, you know, I guess, uh, people are, you know, I guess, I'm sure you've experienced this as well in your work in crisis. I mean, often people are just more, you know, who they were, and mm. maybe amplified a bit. Um, mm. But But the... The thing that I've sort of uh, come to feel I needed to learn and, and, and understand was that is that these crisis times, you know, people do make decisions that often we on the outside, you know, second guess or question, and are often not, I think, the decisions that they themselves made upstream, mm-hmm. um, and um, and yeah, the you know, uh, people react to these, you know, impending loss or their their you know potentially impending mm-hmm. mortality. Uh, with um, you know sometimes different uh, answers uh, than the ones that made sense to them when they weren't mm. um, staring it in the eye, um, and so that's sort of uh, for me I think being a little bit of a humbling thing to recognize that yeah y- you know it just is a different place better better people than me shrink back from it uh, a lot of them mm. uh, right in, in the face of it um, so yeah um, you must have people who we've spoken before about how so many people and it would make sense but you've you've encountered it differently in different demographics or groups or religious understanding or whatever people who uh they're trying to to some degree deny what's happening and stave this off at all costs and then you i would imagine are trying to help them through those times well right you know and and i mean uh, yeah another you know one of the conflicted things about Mm -hmm. the icu it's sort of it's almost this like the kubler ross you know uh, you know grieving your 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 mortality thing inverted right and people go from people who broadly accepted bad Mm -hmm. stuff in their life quickly bargain and angrily turn around and deny it and and, and are in this phase where we you know we can't really go there we're going to try and get through this um and, uh, and, and yeah, like, and, and I think, as I, as I say, sometimes, you know, uh, we just have to recognize that it, it is different for them, you know, staring it right, right in the face and, and um, um, y- you know, then, then the making choices that we feel like would have been the reasonable ones or maybe they would have themselves made differently um, upstream. Mm. Um, I always feel, you know, Michael, I was thinking, <clears throat> I, I, I feel for you because... A lot of my times with the patients, it's with the patient themselves. Mm. And I sometimes yeah. think so many times, I bet you, you're at the bedside and you think, gee, I wish this person wasn't on a breathing machine. And I could have the dialogue, a transparent dialogue with the patient versus two, three, four family members. Uh, and, and And so I feel um, blessed that, that I can, I have that. I, I love that in those moments when they're really serious moments that we drop it all. You're there. And, but I, I like, and, and of course, when I, I go to the ICU and I see Michael there, I love that he's there because for me, he evokes calm mm-hmm. for me. I know that Michael mm-hmm. has a plan for that patient. And so what I like is uh, when I go there that I, I see him and because one of the things coming to our patients is, I want to go to the patient, yes, with hope, despite circumstances. Mm-hmm. I want to come with hope. And um, and maybe that's part of the old Florence Nightingale. Because mm-hmm. for me, we come, but Michael has all the science. 
And, and I have a bit of that, but not much. But I want to be the Florence Nightingale, like the lamp. <laughs> I want to come and mm-hmm. bring light and hope <laughs> and care. Yeah. But but you 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 would love to talk to that patient sometimes. Well well yeah and and uh, and I I only partially answered your question, Todd. I think I got sort of sidetracked myself. But it, that the hard thing is uh, that Rosemary is getting at is finding the space to find meaning in these mm. these crossroads times, um, mm-hmm. especially when you know fairly quickly as the the patient the patient you're out of the loop you know in the ICU, mm-hmm. um, and so trying to you know give people their shot and maybe yeah. beating this you know crisis, and on the other hand. Um, in the maybe more likely scenario that they don't, um, giving them the space to live out that yeah. difficult last crossroads oh, yeah. themselves and their family and find meaning mm. in it. Right. Um, and and we, we certainly are good at getting in the way of that. And, and um, uh, so it's a hard balance to strike, to find, <laughs> give yeah. them their shot uh, and try and keep them in the loop and, and try and keep space to, to find meaning and, and find those, those last uh, important transactions that, that can happen in that space, which is still possible uh, you know you're still it is one of the things that is striking i think in the and you guys have seen this much more than i have but i've been in my work beside a number of you know people on their deathbed or with families at at that moment that the person is dying or has just died or we're there together uh and one of the things that's striking i think even as someone who's not working there all the time but i'm called in and it's a spiritual care type of role but is how ordinary these things are, that, that loss and death happens in the midst of the ordinary. But I think I, I also carry like what a privilege it is to be with people at these times of great intensity, where something has happened that they, Rosemary, in your case, that they can no longer deny. Yeah. That, you know, th- okay, this is, this is me, this is my body, mm-hmm. <laughs> looking at themselves, and there's this nurse helping me with this. Um, or in, in the case of a family that they, they have a loved one who's laying there and they're facing this really, really difficult time. Uh, how have you guys experienced hope in that yourselves? Like you walk away. Um, like one of the things that we said in a little introduction is that uh, Kalanathi right, says in his book that he never saw his work as meaningless, that he always you know saw this sense of call to it or vocation. How have you personally, like you, you're tired, you go away from work and then you're like, no, what I, what I do is, is significant. And this patient has given me hope or whatever. Um, I find that, um, hmm, it's interesting. I'm quickly flashing back to different patient rooms and families. And um, I had a young, a really young 24-year-old with a lovely fellow, um, and um, he had cancer, fairly advanced cancer. And, you know, although I was talking about how I, I, I liked going to his bedside and talking with him and helping him with his ostomy, his mom was always there, and his mom was the same age as me. And we somehow connected. I think our birthdays were close. And, um, and through his stay at our hospital um he he texted too of course and um he said you know rosemary you helped me out with my ostomy you're like you're kind of like mom number two Mm. so i would get the text hi mom number two and um i'm having a little trouble i think i got this little rash or whatever and so okay yep right and i was boom there but I, i so my my care for him was also care for his mom um 
and he, he did pass, and um, I was really connected to that family, and uh, the, they invited me to his funeral, and you know, sometimes that happens too, and, um, but when I would go to that, in answer to your question too, it's around, when I would go to that room, and he mm-hmm. was asking for mom number two, he was looking for somebody who was coming with some hope, a plan, and a strategy, and without being disrespectful to his horrendous circumstances, I wanted to bring just a little bit of positivity as right. well, mm-hmm. but humility, humility and recognizing the, the, this, this situation. So I come, yeah, a little bit with my, my science and my tools and my products, but I come bringing compassionate right. care. Um, one thing, when I look back at what, what did John give back to me was, I'll never forget, you know, and sometimes as healthcare providers, we get connected and family invite us and we think, oh, do I want to go to a funeral? Mm -hmm. And I really have learned the value and so appreciate going to those funerals. What I learned at that funeral was how amazingly gifted John was at playing the piano. And they had a person play all the music that he had created. And John, in those moments when I listened to that music, he gave back to me. Mm. I just thought, what so a good. phenomenal person. And so I think sometimes we, we shy away from funerals, but I've learned not to do that. I'm learning to go. And because in the end, I, I learned who he was as a whole person. Uh, the humanity the of The whole of person, person of not, who not John a, was not a versus just his ostomy. Yeah, yeah. And, and mom. And uh, somehow, of course, as you can mm. imagine, being mom number two, we were oh, connected. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I digress. You must, you must see, um, and this could be for either of you, the real dignity in people as well in difficult circumstances. I imagine that there's probably some times in the ICU or wherever you might see a family that's in crisis and the negative can come out. You say like everything is just amplified, right? But you also must see tremendous dignity that we all have our own concerns and problems and fears, and we think, oh, my life is, you know, difficult or terrible. And then you're with people who have much more intense, often, problems or concerns. And you must face or see dignity sometimes where you walk away going, oh, they just <laughs> they just taught me a little bit about life. Yeah, um, have absolutely. you seen that, Michael? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, I, I think of a guy I see in my outpatient practice who, you know, I always tell him what he leaves is like much more therapeutic for me than it is yeah, for him. Yeah. Um, and, and I can certainly think of some, uh, some people, you know, who have been through the unit in the last few months who, um, yeah, they, they, you know, they impact, you know, me and all, all of us looking after them, you know, I sort of think much more than we, the other, in the other direction. Um, and, and just which, which highlights, I think, um, you know, giving people the opportunity to, to, to do that and it's often the ones who are facing a hopeless situation and how they face it uh, right. you know and and it does it does highlight the fact that y- yeah you're dying but you know you're living until you die and uh, uh, you know these crossroads that people are in i mean they're they're um they're uh, jagged and raw uh, but f- you know yeah. they can be loaded really loaded with uh, meaning and uh, connection and 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 you know like when i think of what those people left the the people who cared for them in, yeah. in the unit, you know, this would be t- probably completely unaware of, let alone the last transactions they had with their family and loved ones. So, mm. yeah, I mean, you know, and, and uh, the, the hope that you were, you know, getting at earlier, I mean, it, there's certainly lots of s- stuff we do that, we, you know, where we're, um, you know, uh, striving and hoping for, for, for rescue outcomes, and, and often it goes well. That's, that's mm-hmm. great. Um, and and uh, the ICU does that stuff well. Uh, but but it's also, um, there, there's a lot to be had in those in those. 
um, good last windows those too. Really difficult you know, and, times. I, and I do find myself hoping, you know, that people can get to those places rather than, you know, just on, only striving un- until the end. If that's what if that's what this is going to be. Colothony mm-hmm. uh, quotes a philosopher from many years ago, uh, Michel de Montaigne, who says, um, and the language is gender specific in this because it's so old. But he says, if I were a writer of books, I would compile a register with a comment of the various deaths of men. He who should teach men to die would at the same time teach them to live. That there is, and I, what I'm thinking of here is this, the presence of fear mm-hmm. in our lives. And one of the things that we fear is, is our own mortality, our own loss. Um, how have you, and Allison, you could chime in on this from the patient perspective, but um, you guys, you say this already with Michael, just walking into an ICU, that sense of calm that he yeah. can project. Yeah. The, and I agree with that that you see people in places often of great fear. Absolutely. And yeah. then the idea that you c- your work, your expertise, <laughs> your experience, your presence may have helped alleviate some fear must be tremendous. It is. Um, you know, but sometimes, you know, I, I want to tell you about sometimes, I want to share sometimes the mistakes as well. Mm. Like you really need to be listening. So I'll share a story and um, Allison might relate to this. <laughs> I um, There's a guy out here actually in Vancouver. His last name is Hill. He's no relation to me. His name is Rob Hill. And he has hiked with his ileostomy the seven top mountain peaks in the world, including Mount Everest. And I was so thrilled and I knew Rob Hill and I was really excited and it was published in the Vancouver Sun. So you know what I did? I cut that article out. I put it in my clinic, my ostomy clinic, posted it. And I thought, wow, what a guy. So one day I have this woman in her 60s had emergency ostomy surgery. She's coming to see me and she's feeling kind of low. She comes in, I get her settled in, and she goes, what's, what's, what's that Vancouver Sun article about? Mm-hmm. And in my kind of early enthusiasm, as <laughs> some of you might know, I went, oh, yeah, this is Rob Hill. And he's like, <laughs> he's like hiked the, the seven most mount peaks, and, and I'm just kind of excited about Rob Hill and everything he's done, and isn't that a crazy? And she says, Rosemary, take it down. And I said, what do, you, what do you mean? And she goes, Rosemary, I cannot get up my stairs. Right. So don't tell me about a man who's hiked seven right. mountain ca- peaks with mm-hmm. his bag. And I said, okay. Yeah. And that yeah. was a moment where I said, okay, Rosemary, be a little careful there. We don't have the... So when my ostomy patients mm. come in, I don't go, hey, look, yeah. look, this guy, he can do... You can do it, anything. You can yeah. do anything. Well, it's, it's a little bit like... It's a little bit... It's a silly mentality. It's a little bit like my son has ADHD. And, you know, in those early years, we I maybe had a bit of a difficult day or two. And this person said, how many children do you have? And I said, oh, oh, just one. And she said, oh, well then, if you've only got one with ADHD, you know, Mrs. So-and-so, she has uh, three children with ADHD. You have no right to feel stressed. Yeah. Your end. And I thought, you know, that kind of messaging doesn't help. And so and so me doing the, the rock Now, by the time, Allison, you right, can, go ahead. You didn't see that posting. No, no. no. <laughs> I, I don't happen... Have you climbed the seven run. peaks? Yeah, yeah <laughs> totally. No, um, 
I, I didn't do much with my ostomy. Uh, let's just be specific about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, granted, I, I had my surgeries during my maternity leave, so I pretty much went from, like, one moment to the next. And I remember when, when I was getting my pre-op appointment done before my colectomy, the nurses asked me whether I wished to cycle because that would change where they positioned my ostomy. Because they drew, they literally, they drew an X on my stomach and then they stuck an ostomy bag on it. And this, because they're like, we want you to get used to wearing this. And I was like, I hate you. I hate you so much <laughs> in this moment. But I looked at them and I said, I have no plans of doing that. Like, I am, I am not an avid cyclist and I have no plans of taking that up in the next six months between when I get this ostomy and when I no longer have this ostomy. So, no, I, I it doesn't matter where you put it on me. And I just remember there, there is a sense and, and I don't know if part of this had to do with the fact that, that I was 30 when I got the surgery, that they're like, you can recover, you can do all these things. I'm like, what if I just get through this? Mm-hmm. And, and that felt like enough for me. I felt like I had enough on my plate with, with my son and <laughs> with the surgeries and stuff. But it, it's hard to balance because there, there is part where, for some people, that, that feels like you're asking them, I think, to do too much. And but for some other people, they find that inspirational and it can be something that they can strive towards. And I remember mm-hmm. the, the Which is op- why you would put yeah. that there. That, yes. Yes. The, the yes, option of this exactly. particular surgery that I had had been floated to me about four years earlier when I first got my diagnosis of colitis, that this could be where I ended up. So it wasn't like a huge shock. And I remember just going, no, no, like this will destroy my life. It will be the, like, what am I going to do? And it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it mm. would be, but it felt a bit like a death sentence. Um, which sounds really dramatic, but you get selfish when you're in pain. And it felt yeah. very dramatic at the moment. It doesn't, it doesn't um, sound dramatic at all because we do that with much smaller things. Sure. Right? Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. and it, it was one of those things that it's, it's amazing the things that in one sense you can get used to living mm-hmm. with. I remember the first time changing my ostomy bag when I got home. I was like like model patient at the hospital. They like watched me do it after my surgery to make sure that I could do it on my own. And then I got home and I nearly passed out. My husband had to come and I was like, Keith, Keith, I can't breathe properly. Like, can you help me do this as I have part of my intestine? Like, it was just like, what a guy. I'm like, there's literally like, don't Google ostomies. Just don't. They are <laughs> weird looking things. Um, but there, there is part where I do distinctly remember like it, it's a very vulnerable thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember lying on like the bed in your office, Rosemary, yes, and going, yes. okay, I feel very confident this woman knows what she's doing because the ostomy nurses that I met before my surgery like knew who you were. And they were so excited that I was going to be at Lionsgate. And so I got to have Rosemary. And so I was like, okay, okay. I think like this woman knows what she's doing. And you were so kind and you were like, it, it was, I think, this this gentle tension that I think a lot of medical professionals have to hold. Um, Michael, I would think that you would have to do it where you you want to be compassionate, you want to be caring, you want to recognize the the humanity and the struggle in your patients, but not to the point that it, you're showing that you're scared by it. And I remember lying, and I'm like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if my ostomy is going to be active while Rosemary's looking at me, and oh my gosh, what is that going to be? And I'm like, okay... I think that like, this clearly cannot be the worst thing that she has dealt with. And <laughs> no, not at all. And <laughs> it was just, there, there was such this projection of, of calm. And I, I mean, I went and saw you 
I can't even count how many times. There were just times where I would text you and I'm like, Rosemary, oh my gosh, everything is like falling apart and I don't know what to do and I have a terrible like rash and I can't make it go away and everything's bleeding. And you're like, okay, okay, we and can you know, deal with and this. And you know, the crazy thing here, Allison, is my memory is like, geez, I, I think I saw Allison maybe like once or twice. Oh, it you was see? a lot. <laughs> so you wow. see, that your, isn't that yeah. interesting? So if you did, when you came, for me, it was something so necessary. I, so in my world, it yeah. wasn't. And also my passion is also to help. That yeah. My goal that really is came like, through. <laughs> let's just bring this on down real quick. Um, so... Yeah, it is. Uh, it's interesting uh, hearing from other patients and their <laughs> perspective. Um, and uh, yeah, anyway, there is so. there is something, you know, as I hear you describe moments like that, I think of that, you know, the recognition of humanity in someone, regardless of the circumstance that they're in. And so someone who's struggling so much with like, I can't believe this is happening to me, or here I am lying in this bed, and this is a terrible thing that I and then so that someone like you walks in and just right away treats them like recognizing their humanity. And they there's a sense, it, it, it's cliched or it's trite to say this, but it's the first step of kind of, it's okay, even though in, in some ways it's, it's not. Um, but that kind of, that sense of a stability that can come when somebody mm -hmm. feels like their world is in upheaval. I wanted to take that another step though. One of the things, Michael, that you and I have spoken about is that uh, people can be in these circumstances uh, in ICU or wherever it is where, uh, you know, the way that some people would describe it is they may have brought it on themselves. So you may have had someone who's uh, had an overdose yeah. or you may have had someone who has had lived a, a particular way that has landed them there for one reason or the other. Sure. One of the things that Kalathani speaks about, he talks about this, and uh, he gives an account of... Uh, person who was in need of emergency treatment and further care and he recalls that as he treated this man the man yelled in pain just kind of screamed out and Kalathani briefly thought he writes he thought well he had it coming mm. uh, and then he writes this short sentence that sets apart the entire paragraph it's set apart um, from the paragraph and he simply writes nobody has it coming and when I read that in in the book I thought that's a that's a gospel declaration. There's yeah. something there that he is saying to me that is so hopeful and helpful. What about your experience, Michael, in terms of, you know, you must come across that where, you know, yeah. somebody is there because of the way they've lived, so-called. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I, know, I know the part of the book you're, you're yeah. referring to, uh, too. Um, yeah, hey, I mean, one of the, the challenging things about working in the emergency ICU, say, particularly are that, you know, dysfunctional people with dysfunctional problems wind up there disproportionately yeah. often. And, and so those are easy places to become, um, you know, callous and, and jaded, judgmental and yeah. jaded of, uh, of, of humanity in general uh -huh, and those yeah. people specifically. Um, uh, yeah, uh, and, and, and it's easy to forget how, how small the, the real differences are, you yeah. know, between us. <laughs> um, if I'll digress an anecdote for a moment, too. I, I just the, uh, not very long ago, sat in the IC family room with a father, mm. a guy about my age, um, whose son, about my kid's age, 20, uh, had been admitted to the ICU, and uh, they'd been out drinking together as they were, were prone to do, and, and, and drove home, you know, into a tree. And, the and father and son? Father and son. Had been drinking? Okay. So, uh, and, and, uh, and, and son sustained a head injury that, was, that he was going to die of. 
Um, mm. And um, so, you know, I mean, how can you not walk into this this room, you know, that's still reeking of alcohol and vomit mm. and, and, you know, and feel judgmental of this guy who's mm. failed so monumentally as a, as a, as a father and a, even as a drinking buddy. Um, mm. it, you know, and yet, yet you know, at, at, at core here, <laughs> he and I are both like about 50, both, and he's sobbing over the, the oh, suffering of wow. his 20-year-old kid you know and and uh you know just as i've uh oh wept over my kids struggles fortunately mm-hmm. nothing on that scale mm-hmm. but but you know i, I mean how, how how not different are he are he and i um you know uh and and so i i think you know these crisis points in our lives you know whether they're approaching the end or, or crisis illness i mean they are great um, levelers and, yeah. and make you realize yeah. how how small the differences between us really are. And I I, I totally agree with that. Uh, um, the is I think he's describing his recon, reconciling himself yeah. to his faith in yes. his in his twenties or thirties. Um, you know, uh, recognizing that that uh, that uh, nobody has it coming. Yeah, and nobody that, has uh, it coming. Uh, mercy trumps justice. Yeah, he end. says that. He, yeah. that's, he, you're quoting his book again. Yeah. But he says yeah. that. He he says that's because so he's an individual who. Uh, went through he would have said like a, a period of his life where he you know was atheist or whatever and and then kind of came back to for him particularly a, a sense of christian faith and so he he refers in the book to kind of scouring the new testament and says that as, as far yeah. as i can tell the thing that jesus shows us is that you know mercy trumps like every time that yeah. it's it's yeah. the and i think so as i think of that i think you guys i could hear it in your voice you must feel and maybe sometimes it's reminded i think it's going to be for all of us in work or whatever it is that wherever we feel a kind of vocational call that's not necessarily for all of us in our jobs but it's somewhere right but you must feel privileged to do what you do huge yeah yeah absolutely i do and even just i was thinking even about i'm going to go back just quick to mention even my just my past sunday morning yeah um i i feel um somewhere i always feel there's there god is overseeing where i'm at because i cannot believe the multiple times every week where i end up being in a place right maybe in front of that doctor who i was supposed to speak to but um it was really present for me on sunday um i had a situation had to come into the hospital early so i was there early dealing with something and then i got this text out of the blue and i have to tell you this has never happened before but it was from one of the palliative care doctors. And she said, Rosemary, I'm really struggling. Can you just meet me at the bedside in maybe 20 minutes? And I wanted to say, gosh, how, d- how did she know I was in the building? Mm-hmm. You know, it's Sunday morning. So I said, sure, I can be there. And she said, yeah, I'm driving in, but it's complicated. I said, yeah, no, I know. I knew the lady. And this lovely lady had this nasty cancer tumor that mm-hmm. was bleeding. And so, um, and you know, when I left that lady on Friday, she said, Rosemary, what are we going to do on the weekend? And I said, look, you'll be fine till Sunday. And if they run into struggles, I've sent them pictures, but they can call. I can come. But somehow those words got translated into Rosemary's coming on Sunday. <laughs> and so... Uh, I, I met the woman you're speaking of. I was called in as a chaplain to see her, and I can just picture this conversation that she... <laughs> yes. Yeah, she's so wonderful. Yeah. And so at the bedside... And with the doctor, we're just trying to look at different ways that we control bleeding so that she can be there for when her sons Mm -hmm. arrive because they were coming in from overseas. And um, 
we didn't think she would make it, make it till, till they sons, would yeah. till they would get there. And so um, the the doc said, you know, I, I don't think you're going to make it. So we're going to do some FaceTime. There's that technology. We're going to do some FaceTime with your sons. Um, and then she turned and she looked at me. And, and sometimes in a way, all of our face shield and our mask, mm-hmm. it, it allows a bit of protection. And she mm-hmm. turned to me eyeball to eyeball and she looked at me and she said, I'm ready to see Jesus. <laughs> and inside, I, I, was, I, I, I wept and I knew outside I was too, but not necessarily that she could see. And I said, Jesus is waiting for you. And I said, the angels, they're around you. And she said, yeah, I feel the angels. And, um, and I noticed, too, the physician that was there, she was fine mm-hmm. with that conversation. Right, Nobody questioned yeah. it. And, something, um, something greater is going on. You, yeah. don't ha- you don't have to believe all those same things yeah. or anything like that. You just yeah. How I ended up being at that bedside, I'm so grateful that I had that time because it was only literally three and a half hours later that she passed. And, and yet she was so, we could talk. And how that I ended up being there at that time, and that happens many times. And I believe, I, my faith is really strong in knowing that for some reason I get popped into places and I, I know it's meant to be that I'm yeah. there, you know. It's a tremendous, it's such a privilege, right? That, yeah. And I think I, what I'm looking to do here as we move to finish our conversation these are moments of great intensity that you're speaking yes. of and, and Michael that you've shared with us. In my own kind of life of thought, prayer, whatever you'd call it, I, I kind of think, okay, could I be granted the the grace to translate this to situations where they aren't so intense, where I'm mm-hmm. encountering someone who's not dying, <laughs> but who I can recognize their humanity. And one of the things through this whole COVID time is, of course, you know, guys, people like yourselves, rightfully in many ways, are, are held up in society. You do tremendous work. You, you know, there's, there's various you know, roles that are looked up to. Uh, but, but there are many people who don't have that as necessarily part of their lives. We've learned about, you know, grocery store workers who are taking risks and, and whatever else that and, and I, I, I find myself kind of asking or praying or, and also challenging myself recognize to, I'm saying this to myself recognize that humanity in those people outside of those circumstances of great intensity yeah. 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 that where yeah. they are and yeah. of course I fail at that all the time but that's I think as we speak with you that's, that's my hope is that we are privileged to help one another carry the burdens of this life yeah. That and when we, I mean, we say it over and over again in this podcast yeah. that um, who is it? Meister Eckhart said, "Be compassionate. Everyone you meet is engaged in a great struggle. Mm-hmm. You guys are privileged mm-hmm. to see that struggle, but of course, with most of the people you encounter in your day, you don't see that struggle. Right. And it's how yeah. to translate that in that right. time, right? But it's uh, it's a tremendous, uh, tremendous privilege." Um, any questions that you had, Allison? Or think oh, I'm going to send thanks. it to you. Now, um. I had, I had, you know, I we do recommend this book by. Mm-hmm. Oh, certainly. I mean, it's it's not long. I think I read it in an evening and then sat sobbing at the end of it. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's. I cannot recommend it enough. It's our, um, our yeah. Our mortality is something that we still, you know, it's it's hard, and in many ways, we don't want to admit that that. It we're around just for a little bit. Kind of yeah, it's so. certainly it, it's certainly very hard. It, it's hard to face 
this mortality. It's hard to face loss. It's hard to face. And I think it's one of those things where how we, I was, I was thinking that it, it is almost easier in moments of, of kind of emergency and great intensity to kind of just like buckle down and, and kind of pull through for other people. Cause you can kind of go, okay, well they need me right now. And there, there's part where when, when you're in those mer- moments of, of great intensity and great pain that, that people can pull through mm-hmm. because you can kind of do that short term. Um, and you can prioritize people who are maybe experiencing, you know, greater difficulties in life due to a health struggle or financial problems mm-hmm. or relationship problems or those sorts of things. And I think it is in that day-to-day thing when we can't always recognize what... That the person I'm hollering at when I'm driving yeah. might be in a terrible circumstance. No, and, and I think it's it's yeah. that thing where I'm sure that, that both you, Michael, and Rosemary see it in, like, that you have patients where where you go, okay, well, they're, they're a terminal patient. And in one sense, it's, it could be easy to be compassionate to them because you go, I, I kind of know where this is going and, and your heart can reach out to them. Whereas the, the patient who, who's coming in because um, they're like, I, well, my experience, like my wound dehisted from my surgery. Right. And I was like, okay, this so what feels... So what does that mean? That means it literally started coming apart. I had a panic attack. It was terrible. I think that's but a it's good okay. reason to have a They panic put attack. like little like steri strips on But Rosemary, on you did not have a panic attack. <laughs> no, she certainly did not. No. She said, it's fine, Allison. I said, are you sure? And she said, yes. Because I would think that's not fine. If it I had a wound that was opening fine. up again, I'd be like... It certainly didn't. Intestinal kind of but stuff. but there is part where I think it's it's... And maybe like those patients that that you may see that whatever is in front of you is not life threatening and just recognizing that for for that person that can feel like obviously the biggest thing in their day or their week or their year at that point and I know that well specifically when when my wound dehisted and I went into emerge at like nine o'clock at night I had an appointment with you the next morning they're like well you'll probably need to see our wound ostomy continence nurse I'm like oh Rosemary I'm seeing her tomorrow they're like oh you'll be fine they just taped her up and I was like Rosemary I feel like my stomach is just coming apart and you're like it's okay Allison I'm like it doesn't feel okay I have I have one last question I want to ask it's kind of more light um when your work has this intensity about it, you have places and things and times where you feel kind of um, where you gain energy and get energy as well. Like, mm-hmm. how can we, not that, you know, we have a chance to like do things for you, whatever, but even just in our thoughts for you. And how can we kind of like, I sure hope that this happens for, for Michael <laughs> or that you get a chance to, I don't know, go for a bike ride. Or <laughs> what is it that kind of gives you, gives you energy and, and light? Well, for me lately, um, I've really, like, wearing that mask and face shield does drive me a little crazy. It's not bad, but what I've been doing, I just started it during COVID, is after work, I go and I park behind Home Depot. Some more parking stories. I just find an open parking Another parking story, (laughs) that's right. And um, I've been walking the seawall, and uh, that's really been um, helpful. But there's times I weep. I weep sometimes. Sure. I, I got I got a little bit surprised when I came in Monday morning because I wanted to check out our That's lovely little lady. Woman. And when I heard that she had passed, I was like, what? What? You know, how did that happen? Um, and then there's times where when I was telling you about that mistake I made with the newspaper and that whole article mm. business. And then there's times you, you learn from that. You learn from that. So 
when I was seeing one of my patients up in palliative, and he, he was down to the sort of the days, weeks, maybe mm. that he had left. And I said, "What? when we have this time together, what would you like to do? And um, he said, well, you know, I have this song, and um, I'd like to dance. Wow. <laughs> so I, I love that I have YouTube on my phone. Hmm. And I shut the door, and we danced. And, and I think... I'm learning more as I get older to do that rather than just putting that Vancouver Sun article up and, <laughs> and not because I wasn't listening. I wasn't listening to where she was at. And, or and rather, I than just saying, rather than just saying to him, oh, that's nice or something. Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually but I actually go, moment. hey, yeah, so that's like really being there for them. That's fantastic. Right? And doing the dance. But anyway. Okay, well, I would have just said, oh, that's nice. I got I to gotta be honest. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, no, I, you know, for me... Um, the, the the work itself I, is it does kind of keep me going. I, honestly, okay. it's mm -hmm. it's That's great it's, it's not it's not just sort of a, uh, a relentless uh, barrage of, of, of tragedy either. I mean, there, there's the most the, most people oh, yeah. leave the ICU. Yeah, you know, not, yeah, yeah, there's something better on yes. the on the fifty yeah. fifty. That, you know, so a lot of people do get through, and 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 um, yeah, it's it's exciting. We, and we, you know, Rosemary and I've worked together on and off in various ways uh, for for years and years, and it's it's a very um, interesting group of people we work with sure. um, that that kind of has a momentum to it that, that I think keeps you going too um, and then yeah like you I think I think if you can get outside in the woods or on the yeah. on the uh, edge yeah. of the ocean I think that, that or, sail. Of, or sail or <laughs> sail yeah you know, that fixes a lot of yeah. it I think Mike says interesting I am so grateful for the team of people yeah. that I work with at Lionsgate yeah it's remarkable I, I cannot tell and I think that's probably why you're 20 years in the ICU <laughs> it's it's the colleagues yeah. and because I feel that they all have, for the most part, they all have the same passion of how can we make a difference? How can we um, ease the suffering? What what can we do here? And I, and I feel that. And maybe that's because we're a community hospital, and this is our community um, that we want to help. But I feel that. And so I would never, well, I've got a few years left to, to work, but I would never leave because that's right. that's the team it's that's meaningful. there yeah. I, I really feel that i uh, do well feel that and i'm not just saying that it's mm. true so uh we want to we're well i know we i can speak for everybody here and say we're glad you're doing what you're doing we yes, have someone certainly. right here oh my <laughs> goodness <laughs> yes um, i mean i haven't had personal experience with michael and i see you i'm actually good for that <laughs> <laughs> i'm good likewise but i trust so that you are a very good doctor <laughs> so thank you for doing what you do we know yes. that you know that it's meaningful and we're grateful as well for all those other people who don't work in icu or and ostomy care but uh at the end and we won't say her name but this woman mm. who, who yes. died on sunday yes. Yes. we raise a glass that yeah. uh, yes. our cupboard master ken gave us the saint vincent <laughs> and yes. the name of saint vincent and uh right our on. lord we raise a glass to this woman yes. and say thank you thank you both for being here we're yes. really for great sure. thank, thank you very much yeah. thank you take care yeah. <laughs>